You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Like I said, we are continuing... Uh, as we expositionally preach through the book of John, uh, we're, we're continuing that this week. And we're going to be in here for a while. Uh, and this is, man, this is a, a book that we could spend years on, really. Uh, we're not going to spend that much time on it. But you could. There is so much depth there. But we want to remind each other that the reason John wrote the, the gospel uh, and, and his, his book was that we would believe that we would believe who Jesus is as being the only Son of God, the Lamb of God, all those names that we have been given as we've gone through, that we would believe who he is, and then we would look at what are the implications of that in our life. And so we get to continue in that process this week, and we're going to talk about come and be reborn. Hopefully this isn't a new term to any of you, uh, the born again, reborn. This is, this is something that as believers uh, is common, and it's thrown around a lot, but this passage this week is where it comes from. And so we're going to dig in, we're going to find out uh, what that means in our life, right? Uh, but as I was preparing, I, I thought of this question. Right? Here's my question for you guys. Have you ever been a part of an organization or a program or, or maybe it's a sports team or something in your life that you were a part of that changed something about you and, and it stayed with you? Like it wasn't just a one time, woo, uh, that was awesome. And then, but something that really changed you. Like I said, some people that's like being in sports and some people it's, it's a, like a service organization. Um, for me, it really was the military. Um, you know, so I, I, I was, let's, let's face it, coming out of high school, I was a mess, right? And, and what the military did through its program was it took this scrawny, uh, distracted, disoriented, uh, kind of wayward kid who didn't have direction, and it created this less scrawny, less disorganized, less distracted uh, kid with, with a little more direction, right? Um, but there's these things in our life that that happens, and it's, it's interesting because the, the, the military purposefully creates this for the process of making us different, making us act different, behave different, think different. And similarly, but to an eternally and, and far more important level, that's what the gospel does to us. As, as we understand the gospel, as... as as God changes us, it, it, it's an eternal change. So, yeah, there might be some things still going on in my life that, I, that were changed from the military. But, man, what God did when he captured my heart, when he changed me, that, that, that's something that's eternal. It will go on forever. And he's still doing it. And so um, today we're going to talk about that process and the eternal process and so 
within our text today. We're going to be going from John 2, uh, verses 23, through John 3, verse 21. It's a good chunk of scripture, right? And right in there is a pretty famous scripture. And John 3, 16. Anybody heard this one? Right? Depend on uh, what, what you learn, if you like, you learned it in a different translation, but we could all say, right, John, John, he goes, for God so loved the world that he gave, don't leave me hanging, gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would, have, would not perish but have eternal life, right? Some of you might have learned it in King James, so you thus and thou's and stuff like that, but we know this, like this is a familiar passage, but in familiarity, we can maybe lose the depth of it because that, like, it's, it's so succinct. It's the gospel in miniatures is what it's been called. It's so succinct that a new believer can grasp it and go, yes, I get it. And somebody who's been walking with the Lord for decades can still look at it and see the beauty and the depth that is there. And so as we look at this, kind of one of my goals this week is, is even though it's familiar, I want us to look at it and marvel again at the beauty of the gospel, at the depth of that statement. But we don't want to just pull that one out. We want to look at it in this uh, entirety of this passage, kind of as John's putting together these big chunks of thought and he's kind of walking through this. That's where we're going to be. So if you got your, your Bible, turn to John 2, 23, and I will read it for us. And it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem, that's Jesus, at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word for God's people. This is an awesome passage. Um, and, and what I want you to know coming out of this, the big takeaway, right? It's our main point. Write it down. If you get nothing else, like, Grab this. Jesus makes us new because of love. That's how I would sum this whole thing up. Jesus makes us new because of love. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about the gospel today, right? The John 3.16 is that, that idea of in miniature, but that's all we're covering today, what gospel and it's fantastic because I love talking about the gospel. Um, it, it's, I hope that we leave here with even more understanding and, and, and see things that we might not have seen. But we understand why the good news is so good. And to understand why the good news is so good, we've got to kind of understand what the problem is. And that's our first point. Is the problem is our hearts. As we look at those first two verses, or first three verses, um, where there's this crowd of people, and it says they believed because they had seen these signs. But there's a disconnect because it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. And the reason why was because he knew what was inside of man, inside of mankind, inside of each one of us. He sees it. And he knows. And so although on the surface, these people might have looked like they believed, the change never happened in their heart. So we don't know. Like, So they're going along, and maybe they're caught up in, in the excitement. And, and they've seen these signs and wonders, and maybe they're like, hey, maybe I can get a little miracle. Maybe it's just like this movement, and they're just going along with it. And and we see this kind of superficial faith. We see it in a lot of different settings. It's, it's an exterior faith. It's, it's, there's no change inside. And what happens is when this is the kind of faith, right, the belief 
It'll die. It quickly dies out. Maybe sometimes it'll last a little bit longer, but if the change doesn't happen from inside, those things on the outside, they're not going to last. And I think we see the same thing that Jesus saw in those people even today. We, we find people who uh, are seeking these experiences, right? Something amazing to make me want to follow that. Or, or maybe we're in desperate need of hope, and so people will cling to Jesus, or in reality, anything else that would give them that sense in that moment. But the change doesn't happen inside, and so that dies away. Unfortunately, this is even a common inside the church. We see that uh, that same seeking, that I want to see something because there's no nothing inside me that desires that has been transformed. So show me, show me, show me. I want to feel something. I want to know something. And so we search for a feeling instead of a savior. Or maybe we want to be forgiven like we feel the weight and shame of sin and we want to be forgiven but we don't want to surrender our hearts and our lives to the God who can forgive us. We don't want to live in obedience to that. And so as we work through the rest of this passage, I, I, we, we're going to see this problem of the heart, the inside, kind of come up again and again. And in fact, the, the problem that is inside, namely sin, uh, if we know the problem, we, we need a solution for the problem. And, and that brings us to our next point. The solution is a fundamental change. The solution is rebirth. So when we look at this account where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this man, and he's, he, he's already shown us, he's told us, we, he sees inside. Now, this man Nicodemus uh, if you would look on the outside, like, he's doing all right. He, he is uh, very well learned. He is a scholar. Yeah, Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. He's a Pharisee, so he's, he's a devout religious man. He, he's part of the Sanhedrin when it says he's a ruler. He, he's, he's a part of this group of, of Jewish people that ruled over the Jews, even under Roman authority, they were in control. He has, he has a prominent position in the world. And it's funny because with all this, I read this and I see a man who, who's maybe torn. He, he comes to Jesus. He comes at night. Maybe it means nothing, but maybe it does. Like, what if they saw me? What would those other Pharisees, the other members of the ruling, what, what would people think if they saw me coming to this teacher? I'm supposed to be the teacher. So maybe he's a little torn, but he recognizes something. Like, there's signs being done, and he knows that these can't happen except through God which is a little different than in other Gospels with the, the other Pharisees that say that it's happening through the power of the enemy, of the, the devil. But he recognizes at least and, and says, this is of God. And he comes with kind talk. 
platitudes. He calls him rabbi, teacher. He says, I, I, I know that these are, you're from God. And Jesus, seeing what's in him, goes directly to the problem. Right? He comes with, oh, you're doing these signs. He, he probably wants to know more about that. And Jesus goes, you have to be fundamentally changed. You have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You need to be remade, regenerated, right? Genesis is the beginning, the creation. He's saying you have to be recreated from the inside out. He sums it up as he gives this description. He says you have to be born water and spirit. So what's one of the things we use water for? To wash, right? To make us clean. Historically, there's rules of purification. So he would understand this idea of water. This needs purifying. You know, you'd come into the house and they would wash their feet. We want to cleanse ourselves. And I want to take you to a scripture in Ezekiel. Because maybe when he starts talking about the cleansing of water or this idea of water and spirit, maybe uh, Nicodemus's mind jumps to Ezekiel. In 36, verse 25, it starts and it says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put it within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There's a change coming. And so this idea of water even reflects in what uh, we're talking about with John the Baptist, right? He He was baptizing people in water for the repentance of sin. And so the repentance is what we bring. That's what allows the cleansing of the water, right? We bring our repentance and nothing else, like our acknowledgement that we've sinned before a holy God. And then we ask for forgiveness. We get cleansed. And this isn't a, a, you know, it it isn't from ourselves. It isn't a self-willed work. It's not... I promise God that I'm not going to do those things, right, the outward things. I'm not going to do things that people will see that will say, oh, that guy, he's, he's not, not doing any good, right? And I think some of us have that tendency. Like, I, I, won't, I, I won't do the things so people will look at me and think I'm all right. It's not that. It, it, it's, it's taking our heart and, and coming to God with a heart-wrought, true confession of our sins and asking him to do something about it because we cannot do anything. If we're spiritually dead, the dead does nothing. It's just dead. And so we come acknowledging our sins before a holy God and knowing there's nothing we can do but cry out to him. 
And that's the first half of this equation of the water and the spirit. The spirit is the regeneration. He is the one who makes things new. So this repentance is, is paired with the work of the spirit, just like we saw in that passage in Ezekiel. And so we have repentance that leads to regeneration, recreation, second birth, born again, the bringing of our spirit to life. And this happens, and we are new, fundamentally changed. And I don't know about you, but this seems very mysterious to me. Like if he sees my heart and he knows what's in me, I will be honest, I wouldn't have picked me for a spiritual dream team. Like I'm, it, it, he knows what's in me, and yet he would choose, based on my repentance, to make me new, to regenerate me. And, and so this, mis, this mystery of it just kind of baffles me. And I think maybe Jesus saw that in Nicodemus, and he, he starts to talk about wind. Like he's talking about born of the water and spirit, flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. And then he starts talking about wind. What he says about the wind is, he says this whole thing, it's, it's like the wind. You don't know what it's doing. You don't know where it started. You don't know where it's going. But you hear it. You know it's there. You can see the effects. You can feel it, right? There's something that happens, but it's, if you try and pull back and look at all of it, like you're not going to get it which is comforting because sometimes we want to get it. We want to know all the things. And that's just a mystery. Why he chooses us when he can see in us. Why from the foundations of the earth would he choose us? And I think that that mystery is important for us to ponder and think on and grasp because we can look on things through earthly eyes. So if we see this guy, Nicodemus, and think of culturally, religiously, in that time, if you were to say, who is going to see the kingdom of God? Who's going to enter the kingdom of God? It was people like Nicodemus that people would think of. He's got it all together. He is a scholar. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's living. He's trying to fulfill all the laws. He's doing the right things. He looks... Like, he's got it. He's going. He's part of the dream team. And I think when we look at this passage, Jesus puts him into the same category as the others who saw signs, but he didn't entrust himself to it. He's like, I see your heart. I know. I know that you think doing that's going to get you there, but it's not. And I think Nicodemus understands that as, you know, and he says, well, how would an old man get born again? Like, Hey, I've been doing this a long time. Maybe he, he's, you know, torn about those statuses of his life. Is he willing to give that up? Is he willing to give up the things that he wants to be made new? Or maybe it's like we see today, right? 
you ask somebody, you know, if, if you're a Christian, American, right? I am Texan by birth or choice, right? We're all here. So, of course, I go to church every week. I was raised in a good family. My grandma took me to church, and guess what? Can't inherit faith. Grandma's faith is fantastic, but that ain't going to get you there. Showing up to do the things aren't going to get you there. The only thing, as Jesus alludes to, is that it has to be a change in your heart. You have to be born again. Those outside things, they don't do it. So you can be around all the religious stuff you want. It doesn't rub off faith. We've got to be transformed. We've got to be made clean, made new, and reborn. And we don't get cleaned up to go do that. He does it. We just bring our repentance. It's not pedigree. It's not position. Just bring our repentance and cry out for him to do the changing work. So rebirth is the solution. And what's inside us, namely sin, is the problem. And we still can't get there on our own. Like, all right, we, we know the solution, but we can't do anything to get there. Because we know from Scripture that the, the penalty for sin is death. And, and as we look at that old sacrificial system, like, it requires a spotless sacrifice. And for us, it's going to require an eternal and spotless sacrifice. The, the Lamb of God is going to have to be sacrificed. So we need somebody who has lived a perfect life without sin to willingly sacrifice himself for us to be made new. Somebody worthy of the payment that is demanded by a just and holy God, and that is what brings us to our next point, which is the price. The problem's in our heart. The solution is rebirth, and the price is an atoning sacrifice, and a, a sacrifice that will satisfy, a sacrifice that can cover all the sin. And at the end of that discussion there with Nicodemus, really, Jesus kind of throws out this thing that kind of is abrupt, right? It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we got to be careful. We want to handle God's word well. So when we think about Old Testament scriptures that remind us of something we don't want to automatically make a jump that oh that that's pointing us to jesus sometimes it does often it does but we don't want to make that jump but if jesus himself makes the connection pretty safe to go there right so we're gonna look at what is he talking about this idea of lifting up this serpent and that passage is in numbers and namely numbers 21 it's it's four through nine but I want to set the scene for you, and then we're going to kind of look a little more deeply at what is said. But God's people who have been taken out of bondage, taken out of slavery, led by the power and provision of God through all kinds of trials, 
constantly provided for. They're thirsty, he provides water in the desert. They're hungry, he provides food from heaven, manna. They complain about that. It's not good enough. And what, he sends them quail till it's like up to their waist. They like get sick of eating quail because they want a meat. But all this time they're grumbling and they're complaining. They're, they're showing like there's something inside them that is not believing. They've seen these signs. And maybe then, like it happens and they're like, whoa, this is awesome. And then like all of a sudden they start forgetting And in verse 5, it actually says that as they're complaining, it says, they lo- we loathe this worthless food. Can you imagine telling God, like, you're providing from heaven, and we despise it. We despise your provision for us. And so heaven, God sends these fiery serpents. Now, I don't want you to think of, like, cartoons you know, on fire, snakes rolling on the ground. Fiery probably meant, maybe it meant the actual feel of the bite, or maybe it meant like it brought on uh, a, a fever that, that eventually would cause death. And he did this with a plan. He, he's making them suffer so that he can heal them so that they will get it. And so we look, and it'll be on the screen, verse 7, the result is, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Repentance, right? The water. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Isn't that awesome? Even though there was disdain for God, he was still... Tell him, come, I'm I'm providing for you. I I want good things for you. I want to heal you. Not just physically, but really wants to heal our heart. So he made a way for them to be healed. And all it took was their repentance, their acknowledgement. I have sinned against God. And then this act of faith. Just look at this bronze snake. Right? There wasn't anything magical about the bronze snake. It was that God wanted them to look with belief. And just as Jesus was raised up and put onto the cross to die for our sin, that atoning sacrifice, all we're required to do is repent and believe. Believe that that death counted for us, that it paid the debt that we can't pay, that it paid an eternal debt, that we would be freed eternally from that, that our hearts would be healed, that we would be made new. 
but the cost, like it was a gift. And I think just like when we get gifts, we don't really think about, wow, this costs a lot of money. We're just amazed, like, wow, this is awesome. But I think we have to just take a moment and think of the cost. The cost of our salvation is very high. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the son of God, perfect, spotless lamb of God, the one who is able to live in this world a perfect life without sin. It actually says, he who knew no sin, never, never knew sin in himself, became sin, manifested our sin in himself to pay the price. He, like, he stepped out of the glories of heaven eternally in that glory to come down and be brutalized by man. And, and more importantly, besides that rejection, was to become sin and take the holy wrath of God that we deserve for our sin on himself to be crushed. And it says it pleased God to crush him. Why? Because he knew the outcome was that we could be healed if we would just repent and look in faith and believe. This is the only sacrifice that would please. This was the only sacrifice that would pay. Pay for your sin, pay for my sin. But here's the question, why? It doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? Because I know what's in me, and I wouldn't have saved me. I know where I was, and I, I wouldn't have looked on my life and go, I'm going to pick that guy. Why? This is the reason. Our next point. The reason is love. Love. The, the, the centerpiece of the gospel is love. It's a love that we can't understand fully. It's a love that really we just get to receive. It's a perfect love. It is a love that is an outflow, an overflow of a perfect love of the, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit eternally together, loving each other. And then it just pours out on us, sir. And it's lavished on us. An eternal love. It's not transactional. If we're honest, we would know that like a lot of times our, our love here on earth between people is transactional. I love you because you give me something I want. You make me feel something. What happens if that thing gets taken away? The love dies. If it's not rooted and grounded in the love of God, which is an unconditional love. It's, it's unfathomable. It's 
too much to grasp the fullness of. It's a love so deep and a love so pure because it is a love from the very essence of God. God is love. And it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that would willingly come down, a love where a father would willingly send the son of God to come for us. And to be honest, it it doesn't make a lot of sense because in our hearts, pride manifests. We're, We're continuously rebellious. Thank God he is changing us. And and as he sanctifies us, like we're becoming more like Christ, but we don't deserve it, but we get it. We receive it. Love was and it is the reason. It's the reason we're here in this room. God's love is, is the centerpiece of why we can come together. So we can be reborn. We can be made new. Because of that love. And if we are made new, it should show. And that's our final point, which is the result. The result is we are eternally different. All the stuff on the outside, if it starts to look godly, is because there was actual change in us. That as we repented and as we believed and as the spirit came in to abide in us, we were reborn. We were made new. And now those outward expressions are flowing out from a heart that is different. And so it's not the show. And as Jesus looks at our heart, he doesn't look at it like that first group and go, I won't entrust myself to them. He goes, I've changed that person, and I'll come in to him. And this happens as we encounter that great love. We receive life, and we're changed, fundamentally changed. The very essence of us is changed. We're made alive. We're reborn. And we're different. We're different because we're new. And that difference is everything about us is new. Our thoughts change. Our desires change. Now, does this mean suddenly we don't sin anymore and we're perfect? No. Like, we're, we're still kind of a mess. I'm a mess. Like, I'm going to sin every day and beg Christ. The difference is before, my sin didn't bother me. But now when I see it, I despise it. I wish it was gone. I want to be more like Jesus. So we still fall to temptation. We still sin, but we're falling towards Christ. And we're we're seeing it and asking him to make us different. Continue the work that he started as he made us new, as we were reborn. And At the end of this passage, John comes back to this illustration. We'll see this throughout John's gospel account, this idea of dark and light, light and dark. In in chapter 1, it says Jesus is the light. He came into the world, 
he's life. And all that's wrapped up in this idea of light. And at the end here, we see, like, the light has come into the world. It's a, a, a reconfirmation of that. But you see what it says right after that? And the people loved darkness rather than light. Why do we love darkness? We love darkness because we feel like we can hide in that darkness. We can keep those things that we're not ready to let go of in that darkness. And we act like God can't see it or us in that darkness, which is ridiculous. Like he sees everything. Right? I was reading Psalm 139 this morning. It's like, where can I go? I can hide in the darkness. But we try to hide. And we want to walk in that darkness because we know that our actions are, are wicked apart from Christ. But he calls us to walk in the light so what we do can clearly be seen, that it is evident that we are changed. And God can use those testimonies of that change for others. So we see the full gospel in this. We see the problem. That's what's inside us. That's sin. That's our hearts. We see the solution is rebirth, and that is making us new. The price, the costly price, was an atoning sacrifice. The God-man, Jesus, to die for us. And the reason is this indescribable, insane, crazy love that we get to receive. Center point of the gospel is that love. And the result is that we are eternally changed. And it starts now. It's not like when I get there, it'll be like he changed us. We're new. We should look new now and be continually growing towards what we will be. Which brings us back to our main point, And that is that Jesus makes us new because of love. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. We, we love you, Lord, and we know that we can only truly say that when you have changed us by your love. We love you and we want to live a life that shows it. that puts weight behind that gift. We want to live a life where we are able to express that love, and it's, it's not transactional, but it is like and reflecting your great love. Unconditional love. Love for you first and foremost, but then love for others around us. Lord, as we have sung this morning and heard your gospel, I pray that you would change us. If we have not been made new, that you would make us new. And if we have, that we would think and rest in that love. And it would show. We need you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for, for the, the pleasing offering that made all this possible. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we pray.